You got Paku in my Navot, no you got Navot in my, sorry. That was like some joke Julian would say to get a response out of O'Brien, sorry, was before they convinced the village to let Hobbit be the Surrey to fight the Dalrock. Oh yeah, it's time for the rules of acquisition. Hello and welcome to the Rules of Acquisition, a podcast where we will be going through every single episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, the greatest (laughs) television series for some people. Eventually. Eventually. (laughs) But hey, let's not disparage the episode we're about to talk about tonight. I'm not. I'm not. I don't. And this is no move along home. No, this wasn't that bad. No. As you can hear with me is James Nolan. Hello, guys. And also we have Hugh Crawford. Hey, guys. And I'm Wade Bowen. And tonight we don't have an episode like Move Along Home to deal with. We've got an episode called The Storyteller. Yes. Or two episodes, it felt like. <laughs> it yes. did. It was, there was no <laughs> overbinding theme to this. I was trying to search yeah. for it. We've got a clear-cut A and B storyline. Yeah, yeah. That have no mirrors or anything. Yeah, yeah, nothing. <laughs> yeah, they don't even. Uh, this episode aired on May 2nd, 1993. The IMDB description says, While Cisco tries to negotiate an agreement between two Bajoran factions, he orders O'Brien to escort Bashir to an emergency that endangers a village. Um, you guys, I think this one is kind of like oatmeal. It's bland, but sort of nutritious. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> kind of nutritious, I guess. I kind of, I like this one. There's stuff I like about it. I like half of this one. But... I like, I like this one. That's sort of how I feel about it. <laughs> right. The story with this episode is it was originally written as a season one Next Generation script. Really? By Kurt Michael Benzmiller. And it sat on the slush pile. We've talked before especially on their Chaos on the Bridge episode about the sort of turmoil of the first season of Next Generation. And he was one of, ben, Ben's Miller was one of the authors that were fired that season. Yeah, his name looked familiar to me. It's like, Ben's Miller, he's he's a guy. He's done other stuff, Star Trek related. Yeah, so I guess Michael Piller always had like a pile of scripts that when he got there in season three, he just read all of the rejected scripts from season one and two, and this was one of them. And I guess he had like a blacklist or something of scripts that never got produced in those first two seasons and this was always top of his list and everybody kept shooting it down and saying no every season he would say do we want to do the storyteller and they were like no <laughs> that's dumb <laughs> get that shit out of here yeah. yeah he said that but he had total control of deep space nine so he <laughs> he just waved his dick around and got this yeah he made. waved his dick around and got it done and then um uh, iris stephen bear did the rewrite so i'm gonna guess that iris stephen bear probably wrote most of the ferengi or most of the nog jake and the princess whatever her name was yeah you're talking about the good stuff yeah <laughs> <laughs> There's some stuff I like about the... I'm going to call it the good stuff. Well, yeah, sure, we can call it that. <laughs> hey, Wade, let's get into what you think is good about the Bashir O'Brien storyline. I like... Um, I mean, we've already talked about how Julian is the worst. Yes. Yeah. And it sets up at the pre-credit scene here. Even O'Brien agrees with this. I loved that. I loved that scene. <laughs> I loved it, too. That was really funny. That was well done. It was clever. Hey, boss, do I have to go down to the planet with this? Why wouldn't you want to? Uh, no reason. No reason. <laughs> uh, Julian's a fucking asshole. I don't want to deal with that guy. Right. And then he comes in, and then Cisco looks at O'Brien, and he's like, "Oh, come on, 
Stop being a fucking baby. Grow up. You're a grown man. Just deal with this shit, basically. Yes. I'm not paying you to get along or whatever. I mean, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was a really funny scene and it was clever and they didn't tell you the thing. Yeah. You know, like I like that. Oh, the what thing that they that he doesn't like him? Yeah, that was a subtext thing. And so it was clever, you know. Right. They don't say, I hate him. Right. He had a look at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even later when they're going down in the shuttle, the way they just composed that shot was great. It's like a close-up of O'Brien with Julian over his mm-hmm. shoulder and Julian can't see O'Brien's face <laughs> so Julian's talking to him and that is like showing what a great actor Cole Meany is. Yeah, he does some good. It's like, okay, we got this good actor. We can just read his face and it's just his facial expressions when Julian's talking to him when he can't see him. He's just rolling his eyes. Yeah, it's surprisingly one of the few times so far this season where the writers and directors of the show trusted the actors. Yeah. Yeah. To convey information. It's actually one of the few times. Yeah. I don't think we see it a whole... I I don't know if we'll... we'll, When the next time we'll see that. Right. And the one way I thought that you could even bring the A and B plots together which don't fit together at all. But ultimately, the one kind of thematic thing that I felt like you could almost argue gets set up at the beginning is they say, oh, just getting them to sit at the same table is a accomplishment. Just getting them talking. And maybe maybe Julian and O'Brien are the Paku and the Navat. They just need to get them talking. I actually do have a overarching theme of this episode. But that kind of falls apart because the Paku and the Navat are openly hostile. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> it's not that they're just irritated. Yeah, yeah. I believe that the binding theme of this episode is that this episode is horribly racist to Bajorans <laughs> because it shows Bajorans as fucking children. Right. Literally, obviously, in the one story. I think, like, the whole time I'm watching this, all of my notes are about how, though I like the Nog Jake and I need her name, the Paku Queen. The Tetrarch. Tetrarch of the Paku. Whatever her name is. Oh, it's her name's Sewell? Varus or something? Sewell, like, yeah. Yeah, I was like, Varus, like the spider from <laughs> Game of Thrones. Well, she, she doesn't have a dick or she doesn't have balls, I guess. Oh, yeah. Very, very, so, yeah. OK, so she's arguing over if I may get, get this correctly. There was two warring tribes who had fought over their border. And at the end of it, they had a concession where the border would be a river. And due to the whatever the Cardassians did, the river moved 20 miles. And yeah. this bitch thinks that she owns that 20 miles. That's ridiculous. Ridiculous. It's not a bitch. Rivers have been boundaries for the longest since forever. And also, rivers m- move. She's not. Rivers move all the time. Right. Like That's true. Like, 20 miles. Yeah. And so there's this weird. I'm going to. I live in Missouri. There's these weird, weird parts oh, of right. southern Missouri. Yeah, Mississippi. Yeah, where the Mississippi has moved and so there's like a pocket of land that's illinois doesn't matter because it's like a square mile who gives a shit but it used to be illinois but it's still they get to keep that land the river doesn't eat your border whoever wrote this episode didn't know shit about the midwest or rivers is basically (laughs) i had the exact same thought i live in missouri as well this isn't even she has no point no point period you missouri types get real uh territorial about this shit. I didn't think about this at all. <laughs> about river politics? Yeah. The rivers. <laughs> yeah, she's got to stand up for herself. She's not going to be no. She's not going to be taken advantage of no. just because she's a child and people call her a bitch. But the thing is, is that the river moved that doesn't give her more land. What? The river moved? The, yeah. Yeah. yeah well, hey, man, that 
the contract's a contract. The contract <laughs> says it's the border. It's their border. That is some legalism bullshit. Okay. Yes. But anyway, so there's that. And then there's this Bashir storyline that's ultimately, after all of the mystery is unveiled, it's that there's a group of people, like a country or a city, or I don't fucking know, who is so, are such big assholes that some sort of scoundrel who likes to fuck young girls has to come in and play a prank on them every year just to get them to not act like assholes. <laughs> that's the plot. Well, that's kind of reductionist. <laughs> <laughs> No, the whole thing is why don't why do you have a story to? Hey, it's not it's not a carpet bagger coming from down north coming no, in. He's part of the community. But he could <laughs> you could just destroy that little Mexican jewelry trinket, and the whole thing would be over. <laughs> you don't have to do this bullshit anymore. Right? Would that the the Mexican jewelry trinket doesn't create the thing; it just controls it. No, it does. Well, you control it, but that doesn't create it necessarily. Okay, okay, it was my understanding. It's a piece of the profit, maybe, that created it, but you don't know if you kill it. It might already be there and created. It might just kill everybody if you destroy the thing to control it. It was under my impression that it was like all of their assholishness was getting sucked up. Right. And they had to, like, let it out? Well, it's a catharsis. It was a weird sort of catharsis that was all depending on, like, how much they put into it. I don't know. Yeah. Well, the thing was, they created the pen. Well, the pen that started because they were all assholes. <laughs> if you go back to the story that the guy tells, is like, oh, they were all assholes. And then the prophets, you know, their gods came down and they got a piece of the orb that manifested all the hatred that they already had. It was already there. They were assholes before they had some shyster come in and tell stories to them. I know, but like everybody's. And then the stories. You tell a story to let people come together. It's not what's taken them apart. But it also undeniably led to this elevated lifestyle for this this man sure. who doesn't do much other than tell people to believe in themselves. <laughs> well, we don't know how much the old man was taking advantage of it. All we know is that when O'Brien gets bequeathed the honor of being the storyteller, the Syrah, that they just... Offer him all these horrors or whatever. <laughs> yeah, they brought him three teenage girls. Yeah, and you know, and he could pick how many, choose how many, and he turns them down because he's a he's a family man. Yeah, yeah, and right. Good for O'Brien that he's like, I don't, I don't want you. And, you know, Julian's giving him the fuck me eyes when they walk in. He's, right. He's like, I could be a Syrah or a Malbec <laughs> or a Red Zinfandel. Yeah. yeah, shit, I know some stories. You guys want to hear about my medical exams? <laughs> Yeah. Does a boogeyman want to hear about my medical tests at Starfleet Academy? Yeah. Yeah, real heroic. But maybe the dying uh, Syrah noticed that when he held his hand. Though, backing up, I guess, when he comes in. The- yeah, yeah, let's go. Let's let's do the story proper, I guess. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking that this whole storyteller aspect is the one that was for Star Trek Next Generation. Is that right? Yeah. I'm thinking so, yes. Yeah, I mean. For- yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. Which I'm curious about where the dull rock or whatever the monster is. Where does it come from? The Balrog? In this one, they can at least throw it away as a cop-out. It's a piece of an orb of the prophets, right. which has already been set up as the magical, we don't have to worry how it works, MacGuffin. I don't know. They made, they called Benz Miller out of wherever he was, out of the unemployment line, and had him rewrite the script for Deep Space, specifically for Deep Space Nine. Uh-huh. But again, this is before it aired, so he had never seen any of this stuff, and he wasn't like a staff writer. Yeah. And then Ira Bear rewrote it, and I think probably Ira Bear right. did all of the Deep Space Nine based stuff. Right. All the all the little. It's a part of an orb, and that's where the power comes from. Yeah, I think that's probably it. Because they've already established that this thing they can just throw away. Otherwise, he'd be like. 
well, let's just find the power source that's can making this thing. Yeah, it could have been like a space jewel or like right, right. tachyon fields from the. Oh yeah, they they throw some techno babble in at some point. Yeah. Oh, there's elevated neutrino levels in these <laughs> yes. rocks or something. Yeah, that feeds on that. It's kind of like the slime from Ghostbusters too. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Totally. So I think maybe that's uh, space slime from Space Ghostbusters too. I don't know. So yeah. Uh, well. I would have liked uh, Vigo the Carpathian. Yes. <laughs> or the great Peter McNichol to come on the show. <laughs> yeah. He's been on Star Trek before. <laughs> oh, surely. He's, he's, he's I feel like I've seen him on a Next Generation episode. He's a Star Trek. Yeah, he's on the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which I, I'm starting to think is like the modern equivalent of the Star Trek or all of these sort of C-list celebrities. Yeah, I kind of have a soft spot for that show for some reason. I don't know. I why. don't hate it. <laughs> yeah, I haven't watched. Talk the- about your show with obligations. Yeah, right. Agents of Shields, definitely that. But um, all right. So going back before jumping to the other plot, should we just do what the A plot first, then the B plot? Yeah, I guess we should. Sure. Do, yeah, let's do the A plot. Wait, but we can all agree that the A plot is actually the commander of the station in his negotiations, right? There's no way. Oh, that that's this, the A oh plot. no. Okay. Oh, is it? I so, thought the storyteller because it's called the storyteller. Yeah. Hey, it gets the name of the episode, right? I know that's because it was an old script on the slush pile. That's why it's a, because oh, okay. that's clearly yeah, the original slush pile script was called the storyteller. Okay, let's talk about the Nog storyline because you're right; it is the better of the two storylines. But it's also it's it's also most relevant to what's going on in the Deep Space Nine universe. Yes, like it actually shows that Commander Cisco has a job to do up there that has to do with these people and their recovery. Mm-hmm. I thought that was yeah, yeah, an actually interesting thing to the storyteller storyline. It is. The first episode where O'Brien and Bashir do something together. Yeah, exactly. That's what I like about it. It's, it sets up. So it's the foundation of the strongest personal tie on the show. Right. Because we've been shitting on Bashir this whole, every episode so far. And, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, because we set up already that he's a total shit. He's totally unlikable. Maybe they're playing the long game with this because even O'Brien agrees with us. He's awful. Yeah, like, and right. I actually, you know. If you'd asked me in season seven, what is Bashir? I would have first said he was a con. Spoilers. Yeah, spoiler alert. Sorry about that. And I would have also <laughs> said that he was, that he was O'Brien's friend. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's like his only characterization at the end. Right, right, right. I like that they said O'Brien hates him at the beginning. We all do. So we all have to grow to like the guy. Because I actually, you know, I, I like the character eventually. So yeah. they, okay, so they moved the ball down the field a little bit with the O'Brien Bashir stuff. Yeah. So I do give him credit for that. But that's about all that storyline is good for. The most, the rest of it is just garbage. It's an opening drive. It's yeah. also, since the pilot, it's also the first time we go down to the surface of Bajor, right? That's right. Yeah. I think so. Not the last. <laughs> and we set them up as a religious people who can be a little bit uh, irrational sometimes about their religious beliefs. Spoiler alert. That's the exact plot of next week's episode two. But anyway. A, a spoiler alert. That's the exact plot of the whole series <laughs> yeah, right. that it's it's what it is, is is this is what happens when an advanced civilization has powers over another civilization that the lesser civilization can't comprehend it fucks with them oh, okay and their whole fabric of life the wormhole aliens so you think this is like post-cardassian ptsd type things that are sneaking into the 
No, I'm thinking that the wormhole aliens, if they had, let's say the wormhole aliens built their wormhole and lived right next to Vulcan, I don't necessarily think <laughs> that they would have, like the Vulcans would assume that they're gods and that they're bound by their will. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. This is a very specific problem to the Bajorans. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. What do you, do you know what I mean? Is this the only the only alien group that believes in a systematic religion? Well, no. It it comes up from time to time, but this is the only way it's been dealt with. It's the only one we dealt with in time. See, that's what I like about this in Deep Space Nine. It deals with yeah. that they have this religion thing that's such a part of their culture, and it's mm-hmm. that stuff that usually Star Trek kind of throws that away as like, oh, we've we've progressed beyond worrying about those kind of things. Like a imagine this like a John Lennon future. Or yeah, something. I mean like, but we're like whereas Deep Space Nine has this. Uh, these are part of the things you have to deal well, with. Well, so okay, so Vulcans meditate and like worship sort of thoughts from their elders, but it's more like a Buddhist kind of thing where it's not like an actual spirit. They don't believe in a personal god. Right. Right. Yeah, Earth doesn't really anymore. I mean, I'm sure they do as, in so much as not to offend audience members, but not uh, like right, right, not in any sort of active way. Right. Sorry. The Klingon believe in god oh yeah and even in deep space nine they deal with the klingon afterlife probably the most stovacor yeah i think there's a voyager episode where taurus goes to klingon but it's like a sort of a norse but they deal with it's kind of a norse god where like totally it's like total valhalla yeah Yeah, so it's not like shiny and chrome you don't pray to odin but they deal with that pretty well when Worf comes on later on but oh yeah that's down the line I guess yeah I don't have a whole lot to say about the Bajoran storyline most of what I said is I like the O'Brien Julian stuff right are we often to abandon it because I, I'm gonna go through my notes real quick to get every little joke that I have right so am I yeah like I'm okay though yeah when when the when the original Sura is dying okay well at least this guy doesn't have an ear fetish <laughs> <laughs> to figure out he just holds Julian's hand and says okay this isn't the guy yeah, he doesn't have to grab their ear or anything. He, and then, oh yeah, that's true. O'Brien comes down. He holds his hands like, okay, this is the guy. Why was O'Brien the guy? Probably he could read. Julian holds his hand. He's like, this guy's gonna fuck all the girls that they bring for him. <laughs> no, I'm gonna move on to the next guy. That's not sleazy. So we all agree that the Sarah was forcing a clear no nothing forward so that it would embolden the the Puerto Rican street tough, it's the apprentice. <laughs> yes, whose main method of acting is just flashing blue steel and mag. Magnum all over the seas. <laughs> yes. But, um, okay, so... That was the, the point there, which I like better than, like, just pure, uh, re- you know, because Star Trek deals with, absolute, you know, science and stuff, so they don't throw away, oh, it is just religion, spiritual, the gods tell them that you're the right guy. Yeah, okay. Which is, you can kind of argue that, but they give you a clear out that it was a ploy was to a get plot. the right guy. It was a plot yeah. to embolden the apprentice. Okay. Because he'd failed once, he had to set up a situation to where he could win the people back, basically. So the prophet monster is called a Dalrog, and a guy who looks like Gandalf is fighting him by shouting at him. Right. Power of shouting. Yes. Holding a staff. Yeah. I commented on that. Uh, and that may be it. Yeah. Okay, so we're on to the Nog I saw some line, Bajoran right? writings on the window. <laughs> and then just one of them looked like a cock and balls. I was like, what's that about? <laughs> oh, man. Can you screen cap that and we can post it on our on our Tumblr? <laughs> oh, yeah. You need to do that. 
Oh, that needs to be our one show about... note for this episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Jordan writing looks like cock and balls. It's just the, the help wanted sign in the, in the store that looks like a cock and balls. <laughs> um, so. Also, like, I noticed that, like, the Bajoran symbol that's like Kira's com badge, they have it on all their windows and doors. Do we have, we don't have a human symbol, and if we did, we wouldn't make our doors and windows shaped like that. It's just a very weird... Well, we might, in the maybe in the future when we're... More enlightened. Well, when we have to represent the planet to all these other alien planets. Oh, yeah. There is like a UN symbol for the world. It's a flat earth. And it's something that they made a flag out of, but nobody gives a shit because who Yeah, cares? but we're not like shaping. Yeah, you're right. But we haven't met any other aliens yet, so who knows? Okay, yeah. Okay, so, and I, I don't hate O'Brien. I think O'Brien doing a shitty job of controlling the Balrog was funny to me in the end. I thought he was doing okay. Yeah. Yeah. He gets some nice, like, for fuck's sake, kind of, yeah. like, just subtext in a lot of the stuff. It's like, God damn it, come on. Yeah, I'm totally on board with O'Brien on this episode. Okay, okay, okay. I wanted to ask, did this this episode not sell you that he's a good character? Mm, no, I'm just on board with him in this one episode. He did his job. I still think there are more interesting characters that they could have put in his place. But Colmini is is one of the best actors on the show. Yeah, at least sold Colmini. Yeah, too, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, he's. I've never had a problem with him personally. I just think that you know it was just a move to try to easily usher in existing Star Trek fans. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's. Go to the much more interesting. Yeah, subplot. let's get to the good part. Okay, so this young woman is in charge of the tribe, and like James said earlier, she thinks that she's owed some land, and she has this problem, and she talks to Nog and Jake about it because they are the same age. <laughs> sure, yeah. Yeah, the whole age thing, you could probably have done a better job of explaining what that was about. Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, well, her parents are dead, I guess – Tetrarch is a hereditary title that just gets passed down. Yeah, they didn't address that. But when she first shows up, everybody's like, oh, what? Oh, we're dealing with a 14-year-old girl. And then they just let it go. Like, okay. And they do a good job of setting that up in the turbo lift with Cisco and Kira, where it's like, these guys are tough desert people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, she's like, these guys are assholes. And she does like really, like that, and it's it's all pretty well done and like it's well set up and then you open the door and it's like a 14 year old girl that's a nice payoff yeah I like that they've exchanged between her and Cisco because Cisco's like this ain't my first time at the plate and she just looks at him like what the fuck does that mean right. I don't know what I, I don't I, understand your <laughs> stupid baseball references <laughs> exactly I love that I was like what the fuck it's like come on dude you know humans stopped caring about baseball like a hundred years ago how is she gonna get that reference after Buck Bonsai <laughs> yeah. my favorite part of this episode is whenever she asks Nog and Jake for their help and Jake says whenever I need help I talk to my dad and she's like motherfucker your dad is part of the problem (laughs) you know (laughs) poor Nog and then he keeps on talking about how great his dad is and Nog finally has to say shut the fuck up about your dad (laughs) yeah well I like that exchange too because it's like I talked to my dad and then Nog jumps in I talked to my dad too because well, clearly, since Move Along Home, when Cisco was like, I need to talk to you about girls. Right. And then, then they never do. Somewhere between here and there, he talked to his son about girls because he's smooth. Jake is much smoother <laughs> like, than Nog, yes. Jake's much smoother than Nog. Right. Nog's like, boop, 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 boop. And he's like, oh, my dad talked to me how to talk to women. Yeah. He's, he's putting his feet up. Yeah, I'm, I'm laughing at the whole concept that in that episode where, where Cisco says, Nog is older than you, and he probably does things with girls that you're too young for. And I'm like... 
Have you seen Nog? He's he's like yeah. a three foot tall Ferengi. He ain't got. Yeah. S- have you ever seen any Ferengi ever impress? Yeah, they don't have game. <laughs> and then going back to that. Oh, I talked to my dad, and then Nog's. I talked to my dad too, and then. She's like, well, my parents are dead. And they're like, oh, shit. Right. <laughs> then Jake is, my mom's My mom's dead. And then, like, I thought Nog was going to say, where the hell is... And then I was like, okay, Nog, here's your point. Here's your, here's your time, Nog, to jump in. Because you've jumped in every time Jake says something. He said, me too. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, my mom... Oh, wait a minute. We don't know anything about Nog's mom. Right. We don't. At and, all. Yeah, we don't. And I thought you, we would. But uh, the thing that I liked about it was that, you know, obviously the show is supposed to say when Jake is talking about Cisco, he's talking about a great man. And we all know that he's great because he's, you know, the lead on the show. Right. And Nog is talking about the guy who's always getting, like, whipped with a bar rag by right. his brother. <laughs> right. Come on, Clark. No, no, yeah. You don't need to do that. You know, there's like a like a shame there. Yeah. Yeah. Even like my dad's smart sometimes. sometimes about certain things, you know. And so I liked that there was like a little bit of business there. There was a little bit of like emotion and fragile, you know, sort of vulnerability there. Yeah, yeah. I, I like Nog a lot in this. Yeah, like, he's, you know, an adolescent Ferengi is actually the perfect troublemaker friend for an, a kid, <laughs> like in the situation. Yeah, that was a really smart move for the architects of the show, I think. Yeah. Because he's he's the troublemaker, like making problems and stuff. But you don't hate him because for a Ferengi, he's got heart. Yeah, and in fact, I I've started to wonder, and maybe it's because I I don't know anything about Ira Bear's politics or anything like that. But I know a little bit enough to know that this plotline is sort of built around the libertarian theory of world peace, which is the way that you stop wars. Because libertarians are big on you know no government. They don't like any sort of like complicated UN bodies and sort of negotiations. Right. They would say that the only thing that really makes world would ever make world peace happen the only thing that ends wars they're big on the mcdonald thesis where no two countries that have a mcdonald's have ever went to war with each other so this idea that free markets and mutually insured financial outcomes are how peace is created and that's sort of the mm-hmm. theme of this plot where nog has to sort of coach her Ugh, along one big wet fart yeah <laughs> That, that that Nog has to sort of coach her along to like, well, what do they have that you want? And if you can do that, then you can – everybody's getting what they want. You're getting more money. They're getting more money. Yeah, it's, it's not a problem. It's an opportunity. Yeah. The ninth rule of acquisition is opportunity plus instinct equals profit. Yes. <laughs> so we have a new rules of acquisition on this episode. Oh, shit. Yeah, I had to write that down because that's the name of our – Damn podcast. Oh, okay, I thought you actually <laughs> thought you just had, just knew that shit off the top of your head for a minute. <laughs> yeah, I've memorized all, all the, the rules. <laughs> Even the ones that don't exist. Yeah, because there's not a, like a number two. I was looking at them. Yeah. But Ira Bear, I believe, wrote most of the rules of acquisition, not just in this episode, but like period. Right. He put out the book. He put out the book. The Fringies are kind of his thing. Like he kind of owns Ferengis. Yeah. Did he write the first ones in Next Generation? Uh, he may have actually, because he was first season. Yeah. Yeah, probably then. Uh, so he may have. I don't know. I almost wonder. And just he seems to fit the type because he's like he looks like a libertarian, like <laughs> with that bald head and goatee, with a blue goatee and a bald head, and he wears a, walks with a cane. He just looks like that guy. So I'm wondering if he's like a like yeah a, he does. And so if he's like a libertarian and like, <laughs> like that, that I think man is it really into Tom Waits and he's a libertarian. Yes, <laughs> I think it's nice that the the Ferengis are kind of his thing, uh, but it's too bad that the half the characters couldn't have been. His his thing because Nog has had more complicated character work in this episode <laughs> than Dax or 
Bashir in this entire damn series. <laughs> yes. So I think that's cool that he. Yeah, yeah. The whole thing where Jake's tutoring him in private and hiding yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Nog's gotten the most character development out of everybody. Yeah. Nog is. Yeah. If we're keeping track. Who's a better actor? Aaron Eisenberg, who I think is the name of the actor who plays Nog. That's, yeah, that's Nog. Or Terry Farrell. Aaron Eisenberg, new concept. <laughs> who would you write for if you if you at this, at yeah. this point? Well, I mean, uh, I think both Bashir and uh, are we talking about like who's better out of the three of them? No, I I'm not saying that Bashir. Okay, I'm saying that if you had to write for Bashir or Aaron Eisenberg, or not Bashir, but Dax or Aaron Eisenberg, Terry Farrell or Aaron Eisenberg, who would you write for? You're probably going to write for Nog because he's a better character and he's a better actor. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was saying. Nog, unless I were some kind of like I want to write for the hot woman but, yeah but, but like for personally yeah i'd rather write for the better character myself and that's not you dance with the one you brought huh i'm i'm of the opinion that you dance with the one that brought you and if you're going to have dax as one of the main crew members then you actually do something with her yeah i agree with you fair enough she does have some interesting things to, you know like just the character but i don't know i feel like maybe if she were more, we all read the show. We Bible. read the show Bible. I mean, we'll, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. It, what, what was on? What, what's in, on the show Bible is a lot more interesting than what we are seeing on the screen in a lot of ways. Actually, her entry in the show Bible is boring. It's the old Dax where she's wise, sexless mentor, and then I realized later they probably said, "Well, she can't pull this off." Because mm-hmm. that whole when we've we've uh, like most of our discussions of Dax have been sex positive Dax versus sex negative Dax. Yes, the one in the show Bible is sex negative Dax and shitty acting Dax. We spend a lot of time on shitty acting Dax. Well, that's the main one. Yeah. Well, they mm-hmm. actually in the show Bible they actually talk about Dax and Kira being good friends, and we don't see any of that friendship at all on the screen. Oh, we don't see any of that. I wonder if that if they're the actors didn't get along or just they realized that. She couldn't, they couldn't pull it off. Or, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. The Kira-Dax relationship would have been interesting, but the character notes they gave for Dax are, I don't know. I like what we get to with Dax later better than that, where she's a fun-loving. Yeah, I think that she was supposed to be like the Spock. Spock. Yeah. And like, hey, it doesn't really understand Spock. Spock, maybe in the movies later on, where he was like older and, and Leonard Nimoy looked old fast. Yeah. So he was older and he and so he had sort of a wizened weirdo sort of element to him. Especially in like the fourth movie, which I love. So I think maybe that's what we think of as Spock. But Spock on the show had it was weird and he was a weird personality, but he had like a virility to him and like a youth yeah. to him and like he would raise his voice. Yeah, he had almost like a childlike interest in things. It was like a... Buoyancy to the performance. Yeah, and I don't think that they understood that. So I think that what they wanted Dax to be was Qui-Gon Jinn. The boringest fucking character in the history of the world. So Yeah, right. So it even like that one of the best actors living couldn't make interesting. Yeah. So I think that's what they wanted. And there was just no way this this woman was gonna pull that off. Yeah. Not because of, not because she's a woman. Not because she's a woman. It's because she's her. It's because she's Terry Farrell. Right. So there was no way that Terry right. Farrell was gonna pull that off. But she's not in this episode at all, is she? So why are we talking about her? Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately they weren't handing off Deep Space Nine guest appearances this week. (laughs) Though in the closing credits, the last thing is co-star, blah, 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 as woman. (laughs) That's the first line in the closing credits. Oh, that. Oh, the woman. I don't know what the fuck that means. uh, Probably the one that was trying to get Bashir to kiss her baby. Oh, yeah, probably. Not Bashir, O'Brien to kiss her. Yeah, yeah. But whatever. That's neither here. Yeah. Okay. So what else do we have in the the good storyline? Odo's Um, bucket of oatmeal. 
Oh, yeah. Oatmeal fight. Okay, uh, I do love that turning Odo into mall cop for this episode was great. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. He basically just existed as a mall cop the whole episode, you know, keeping the point. Yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, kids, what are you doing? <laughs> Stand up. Yeah. Uh, he walks away, they sit back down. Or they walk away and he smiles. Ah, uh, kids being kids. They stole his bucket. <laughs> they they did a good job of, of, like, this is not an Odo episode, but they still do a good job of utilizing mm-hmm. him. I think that's what irritates me is that even the some of the characters, when they're not being focal point, are used well and then others aren't. It's so, it's so lopsided and uneven. Yeah. And I can't blame it all on the actor's limits. I don't think that that's... <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, I think it also... Can we talk about Kira in this episode? What? Okay. Well, she has like two scenes in this whole thing. Yeah. That whole like... I can remember... Oh, yeah, I can remember too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, what, I don't... You're ba- what the fuck are you talking about baseball? That I loved. Uh-huh. And then the second time she goes into Quark's bar when we set up Quark as the saloon, she, she almost sold me on it as her grizzled old... Oh, give me a whiskey. Yeah. Almost sold on it. She walks in and it's just like a 30 second scene. She comes in and they're like, oh, hard day at the office. And she's like, yeah, give me. She she's so close to sells me on. She's she's a hardened, you know, tough lady. Yeah. She comes on. Yeah. Spare me the small talk and give me a. Star Drifter. A star Drifter. <laughs> like, yeah. oh, and it was like a green drink. Why'd yeah. you have to call it a Star Drifter? You call it a whiskey neat. Right. And it's like, all right, you better make it a double Star Drifter. She's like, come on. <laughs> and it was like a green drink. It looked like a my. Make it a take. It, it looked like a my. <laughs> Spare me a small talk and give me a cutie, cutie patootie sissy drink or something. Yeah. It's like, come on, man. Why'd you gotta call it a Star yeah, Drifter? She was drinking a grasshopper or whatever. Like, <laughs> right. um, but I'm sure it's like space whiskey. It's what you're supposed to think, but visually it comes off as like, give me a, give me some Listerine, give me a girly drink, you know, or something. <laughs> right. and like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, give me a Shirley Temple. It's like, come <laughs> on, man. You so, no, okay, so I think she's great in this episode, which I've never said yeah, before. Yeah, I too. I think that she does her job in, in, the, in her two scenes. I think she does a really good job against Avery Brooks, which makes me wonder, I haven't been paying attention to if she's good with specific actors. Yeah. We've touched upon that before. We have the, we had that theory early on. About I Avery think. Brooks, that she's a, as he's a, that he's a chameleon. Okay. Maybe she yeah. is, too. Well, yeah. Or that she's a ta- talent Sponge. Yeah, she's a talent sponge. So she's with Avery Brooks. She's That's good. what we said about Avery Brooks. And he's yeah. probably because he's currently like a teacher at Rutgers. That's his job. Oh yeah. Like so, I assume that like maybe he's just like you know a natural teacher or something. And like if they're not if they're not going to give this girl direction, I'll give it to her because I'm stuck in a turbo lift with her. And so like I oh, I definitely think that happened. Yeah, yeah, I do too. Yeah. Uh, yeah Rutgers isn't that far from me. I have friends that taught there. <laughs> oh really? Yeah, you should go. You should go check out Avery. He's a theater teacher there. The guy I went to high school taught there, and then I don't know the theater department though. Mm. Uh, I think he's an alumnus too. But the, so that's okay, so that there was sense. that, and then I liked that the whole scene with the ridiculousness because a let's admit it the the girl if we're gonna be hard on actresses the girl yeah was worse whatever the. She was worse. Whatever. Varys. Varys. Really? You thought she was that bad? She wasn't bad. No, she no, was, no, no. I didn't think she was She was, was worse bad. than Kira. She was she, fine. She was, she was reliable. Like, she was fine. Kira actually did a good job this episode. I'll give you that. I just yeah. hated that. Like, don't undersell it by making her order a, a star drifter. A star drifter. Or yeah, because yeah, they've established harder drinks. Yeah. I, unless it's a joke, but it's a bad joke. Yeah. And you almost made her a badass in this episode, and then you gave her a girly drink. We've jumped around, but I think we've I've gotten most of my points out. 
we can move on to the things we change, I yeah, guess, huh? That's great. Oh, yeah. Oh, one more thing I was wanting to say. My son watches these episodes with me every week, and he wants to, me to give one comment on the podcast that he thought, and he really, oh, yeah. he really thought that Jake and uh, and the girl Varys should get together. He sort of liked the whole Disney Channel element to this episode. Of like, oh yeah, know, that's there. Yeah, preteens hanging out and getting in trouble, and he he was he he really wanted Jake and her to get together. Yeah, he thought they that they would make a better couple than Nog and her. So well, he would. Yeah. He would. Yeah, because. Yeah, Jake is like a smooth operator in this one world. Nog's like, oh, come on. But you know what? It'd be a dick move for Jake to take her over because Nog kind of like. It was, oh, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Well, I mean, she can make her own decisions, but he called her first, you know. <laughs> I agree. That was my only point. No, that's a good point. I would like to hear more. Daniel's opinions. <laughs> yeah, I would like to hear more of what your son thinks We'll turn about this it. into a running motif. My son wants to have a thing on this. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, let's let's get into the what would we change about this episode? Who wants to go first? Mm. Well, what I've got this week is is rather small, and I think we touched upon it a little bit. I think I would have liked a little bit more. If we're going to have this whole mumbo jumbo about what actually makes this creature work. I would like to tie back to the wormhole aliens more specifically than just a little bit of the shard, the orb or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would like to have something more concrete that fits into the overall lore that all Bajorans are dealing with. Yeah. I like that they called to the wormhole aliens, but yeah, they could have done it better than, Oh, since we mentioned it, we can just explain it away and not really explain it it's kind of well, i mean it, they say that they had a, a shard of the orb around their neck is that what that was is that yeah it, that's it the thing the that they were shard. controlling it with is a shard of an well, orb. i would have liked it if they had some sort of reveal where the rest of the orb was like in somebody's closet somewhere in the village or something and then they discovered like another orb of the prophets or something you know it could have led to something other than you know, the space boogeyman went away because we wanted it to. Yeah, because the, the wormhole aliens, they've been set up as like they have agency. So I've, it sounds like the, it feels like the kind of thing that they wouldn't give a shit about. Right. Like, oh, we would just change our minds because we're non-temporal and OK, done. But now it's just a magic object that made an alien and that's it, yeah. like, which is kind of cheap. Uh, yeah. So I kind of would have liked to have it, maybe it actually this trip actually means something. <laughs> Uh, because basically yeah. Bashir and O'Brien are s- dispatched as Ghostbusters. <laughs> Just like, yeah. you know, the, it, right? I yeah, mean, no, no. Yeah. Are, we're, are they really going to send uh, Federation officers down every time there's like a spook under somebody's bed on base order? Hey, good point. <laughs> well, that's, uh, yeah, like, that's yeah. even the. Yeah, they don't, they have doctors on base order. Why do they have to send the guy from the Federation? Well, yeah, this, and that was even sort of a bride's point. He was like, this isn't that important. Yeah, do I have to go with this journey? <laughs> and I know that there's a playing with the thing because he's the one that got most sucked into it. Yeah. But it was still not that important. No. And, and it's like, I'm sure some shit's breaking down back on the station that, like, when O'Brien gets back, he's got a big fucking mess he's going to have to clean up. Right, right. You know? I mean, he even says, well, everything's working fine now, but, you know, things break down fast. And then uh, Cisco's like, just, just stop being a baby and go. And then when Julian asks him, that, you know, like, oh, what are you thinking about? And it was like, well, I'm thinking I need to run a level one diagnostic when we get back to the station. Yeah. So, all right. Well, that's what I would change. I would have a little bit more stake in the larger picture yeah. all right james uh before i get into that i just want to point out that the the Saraz real name is k cooter k 
Cooter. Cooter. All right. That just made me laugh. It's a great space hillbilly name, isn't it? Hey, Cooter. <laughs> right. He looked familiar to me. He like was he's, in The he's... Last Starfighter. Oh. Yep. Mm-hmm. Love The Last Starfighter. Yeah. The thing I would change in this episode is, okay, so the promise of that first scene between Cisco and Kara seemed to be that she did have some knowledge on how to best deal with these things. And that was supposed to be like a Bajoran sort of settlement and this was a Bajoran issue. And then when you get in there, it's just it's just another excuse for Cisco to school a young girl. So it's like Cisco teacher Cisco. Yeah, yeah. Is what the whole plot line is about. But what would be interesting is if you could bring Kira into the storyline because at this point her superpower, if she's got one at this point of the show. She knows the Bajorans. So she knows the Bajorans. Yeah, yeah. And that wasn't really ever utilized. And and so I'd like to have Oh, that's a great point. I would have liked to have seen like her have some sort of great point or maybe the girl, I'm just off the top of my head, maybe the the young girl didn't know what she could have offered them. Yeah, yeah. That would have been good. Yeah, or what she could have bartered for. And maybe Kira could have had a little insight on that. So that... Yeah, so, if, if the whole major conflict is about a Bajoran dispute, she should have more input yeah. into it. Instead of just going in and saying, give me a girly chocolate choo-choo <laughs> to get rid of my, uh-huh. you know, weird, you know, going into cheers. But they go into a way where it's not even really... It's about Cisco schooling a young girl... And it's about Ira Bear's, I'm guessing, libertarian philosophy. It's not really about <laughs> Bajor. And I, it would have been an inst- because at this point, you're asking, why is Kira here? Yeah. Why does she deserve to be here? Right, right. And giving her a modicum of institutional knowledge would go a long way. So, yeah. That's where I'm at. Okay. Well, what I would have changed is we basically have two episodes here. We've got two mini episodes, <laughs> we've got the A and B plot. Yeah. We tie the A and B plot together. Instead of making Julian and O'Brien go down to a random village where a guy's dying, tie it into the trade dispute. Say like, oh, we've got this tense trade negotiation going on. Oh, man, and now we've got this drama down here. Hey, Julian, O'Brien, I know that you have jobs on the station, but we're dealing with this negotiation. We need you to go nip this in the bud down on the planet so that things in the negotiation can work well. So maybe the village, like if there, there was a, like there was an old guy at the village that they need to like solve this. Yeah. Yeah. Like something's being haunted by a space ghost. So they had to get rid of space ghost. Yeah. Tensions on the planet are getting out of control and that will totally disrupt the negotiations. We need you to take care of this. And I get that they wanted to set up, this is Julian and Bashir's story. This is how they get to be buddies, which I like. So you could even have done it like when they get down there and they notice shit's getting out of control. They could have been like, oh, you know what? Cisco kind of laid this on us to take care of it. Let's not bother the station. Let's just make, hey, you know what? We need to solve this between the two of us. And then they bond that way so that you can have, if the arc of the Julian O'Brien story is them coming closer and becoming friends, you'd say, hey, you know what? We need to do this ourselves because the boss just laid into us. And basically, like, if if they're like, stop being assholes and do your job, if he was doing that to them, they're like, oh, we can't go back to him now. And then when they come back up to the station, you know, you could have like, oh, did everything work out okay? And they can give each other like a knowing wink and go on their way as friends or whatever. And then you would have had the two plots actually relate to each other in some way. Yeah. You know? I don't no, know. I agree. That would, That's yeah. Because I I, it just occurred to me while you were talking that their bullshit excuse in the writer's room was that both stories are about standing up to your fears. 
Is that right? I guess. It didn't occur to me while I was watching the show, but it does here. <laughs> yeah, right. That's their bullshit writer's room excuse, right? Yeah. That she stood up to her fears just like the people of the village stood up to the Dalrock. Yeah, it's weak. Yeah, that's weak. weak. You're right. Doing it, tying it in plot-wise, that always and it gives this sense of momentum. Yeah, yeah. Where, like, thing I hate most in these TV shows where it's like, okay, pause. And then unpause the other story. And then it goes on for a little bit and pause that one. Yeah, yeah. Like, no, you get the sense of a, like an internal momentum. Yeah, you could have done two 20-minute episodes with each of these storylines. There's no reason they even have to share an episode. Yeah, it's good. It's bullshit. You guys want to guess what how this ranked on IMDb out of 10 by the users real quick? Okay. I've, we haven't done this enough to know if they established a high baseline or a low baseline. Yeah, I feel like the users are well, all I'm gonna, the Well, I'm going to let you know that um, the Vortex episode uh-huh. was rated 7 out of 10, just as a reminder. Okay. The Nagus was 7.2 out of 10. Okay. People like Ferengi. Move Along Home. Move Along Home. You guys want to guess what they rated Move Along Home? 5. 4 out of 10. That was 6 out of 10. Fuck. What? <laughs> yes. Yes, the users said move along. Users are idiots, apparently. And this was 625 people voted on this and rated it 6 out of 10. Now, um, the episode that we just watched, 7 out of 10. The the storyteller, 570 people voted on this and they gave it a 6 out of 10 as well. So, uh, according to IMDb users, this is right on the same. path is uh as move along as home, move along home. <laughs> right no it's According not and it's worse you know because <laughs> in that move along home episode we said that usually when star trek sucks it sucks by being boring and probably i watched right. this episode twice this week i will probably forget this episode exists for the rest of my life in two minutes three minutes whenever we're done <laughs> right yeah me yeah me too it is yeah. bad in that it's forgetful yeah. I still say yeah, it's a marker on the show where this is the first – this is where you finally set up the Julian O'Brien. It is, yeah. So it's going to be talked about in yeah, that They regard. moved the ball down the field a little bit, yeah. So what is the lowest-ranking show on IMDb we've watched so far? Um, I'm going to rattle them off real quick. The Passenger was 6.4. What? Dax was 7.0 okay. out of 10. I would do that. Dax was good. That's fine. Hewless – is 6.8 out of 10. Uh, that's fine. I get it. Captive Pursuit is 7.6 out of 10. I would, what? Yeah, no, I, would, I like that episode. Oh, no, I like Captive Pursuit. Yeah, that's the alligator man. All right, now like this that. is my least favorite one out of the entire... Babel. This is my least favorite one, Babel. 6.9 out what? of 10. Fuck, what? Fuck you, reader. Yes. <laughs> fuck you, I'm, or, yeah. IMDb users. Yeah, I don't... Yeah, man, people are fucking idiots. All right, A Man Alone is 6.8 out of 10. Mm-hmm. And past people prologue like more than a mandolin. That was yeah. Past past prologue is seven point oh out of ten. That's a good one. And emissary. Anybody want to guess what emissary is? Seven point five out of ten. Ooh, so, very close. It's seven point four with two thousand one hundred and two people voting on it. It's the highest voted on, and it's seven point four. That's pretty good. So I mean, six point oh is. Is our lowest one, and man, uh, move along home and storyteller are both ranked the lowest on imdb it'd be interested to see how it's weighted like you know the ones i trust the ones where more people vote more than the ones where yeah okay so just to get a baseline let's uh look at a few episodes from now we haven't talked about it yet but duet 
What did that get? It's still in season one. It's like episode 17. That's the big. Uh, that's like one of the best ones yeah, ever. Right? That's what people think. Yes. All right. This one is 8.9. Whoa, okay. 902 people voted on Duet. Okay. okay. And so, yeah. Stay listening, folks. Yeah. That's going to be interesting. Yeah. All right. Uh, so, anything else, gentlemen? I think I'm, talk- I'm, I'm done. No, I'm all done. All right. Three to beam out. Three to beam out. Please follow us on Twitter at AcquisitionPod and on Tumblr at the rules of acquisitionpodcast.tumblr.com. Send us an email at rulesofacquisitionpodcast at gmail.com. You can turn this off now. It's pretty pathetic that you are still listening. Do you not have friends, or a hobby that is not Star Trek podcast related? That is possibly why people are fearful for the future of our society. We believe in you. We know you are better than this.